Okay, we're in Luke chapter 3 today. Verses 23 through 38. Luke's genealogy of Jesus. So the title of the message is Luke's genealogy of Jesus. Why it matters. Why it matters. And so hopefully we can see why it actually matters. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but since I've been a Christian now for 26 years, uh, when I'm reading through my Bible and I get to a, <laughs> a list of names, whether it's a genealogy or some of, the, some of the different lists in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers or Chronicles, I find myself, I, I want to be faithful to read it, but I'm, I find myself just kind of skimming it because to pronounce all those names... I tell you what it is. I heard a, I heard a preacher one time say that uh, if you're having trouble going to sleep at night, turn to the. Uh, I believe it's the the version we just read in Matthew, the genealogy in Matthew, especially in the King James version. You're going to see so and so begat so and so begat so and so begat so. Might help you go to sleep. But, so it's a good sleeping pill for some when you're talking about a genealogy. But why study? Why study or why cover a, a, a genealogy? Well, let me read, you don't have to turn here, a very familiar passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And see if this is true for what we're looking at today. All Scripture, all Scripture, including genealogies, is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So there's your first answer. Because it's all it's part of Scripture. And Scripture is God's Word. It's God-breathed. And it has something for us. What's that? Uh, oh yeah, so guys, you, ha- you do have a, a uh, outline on the back, uh, back of your bulletin. Just a real brief outline to follow along. So, but we have why study, a ge- uh, why study genealogy? Because it's Scripture. It's God's Word. It's profitable for us. It's profitable to equip you. You know, I think of a genealogy, this portion of Scripture, it's not the most exciting. I mean, I don't think i got to stand here and convince you of that. You know, you ever had a T-bone steak? Have you noticed, like in a T-bone steak or a pork chop, there's that little section of meat behind the bone, and it's really, really tender. It's part of the tenderloin, I believe. I'm not a butcher, but I think that's part of the tenderloin. You think about how good that is, how, how tender that is. That's like Romans. <laughs> that's like... The book of Galatians or Colossians. Just so rich, right? Psalms. And you get in the other part of the T-bone or other parts of a, a cut of meat and you may run into a lot of gristle. But you know what? It's still profitable. It's still meat. And so think of, uh, think of the, you know, the, the genealogy. It may not be that soft part, guys, but it's profitable for us if we look at it. It's God's Word. And so that's what we're going to look at here in just a minute. So I'm going to... Turn, turn over here to Luke now. Luke chapter 3, verse 23 through 28. I'm going to read this. I'm going to try to get it right. Try to get these names right. Again, uh, when I read Matthew's, I'm fixing to read Luke's. I don't know if I'm pronouncing all of these names exactly right. Hey, the people weren't here to ask. So sometimes you don't know how to pronounce a name. I was just telling the men yesterday at, a, at the men's breakfast, we got to talking about names and how you pronounce names and is that, a, is that a, you know, some names can be a man's name and a woman's name. When you think of Shiloh's name can be, there, there's men and women named Shiloh. You think of Tracy, names like this. And, and it made me think about my name, Brady. Brady's a, it's a fairly common name now, but when I grew up it was not. And everybody had trouble pronouncing my name. And I remember when I used to uh, box amateur boxing years ago, back in the early 90s, mid 90s, and before a whole crowd of people, and they, this guy tried to pronounce my name, and he, you could tell he was stuttering. He's like, Brady Brewer. And, uh, you know, so hey, if I don't pronounce all these names right, I know what it feels like. So, it'll be okay. But uh, let's look at this. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 38. The genealogy of Jesus Christ according to Luke and why it matters. Now, when all the people... Oh, I'm sorry, that's verse 21. That's what we looked at last time. Verse 23, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of 
Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Hesli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maeth, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Rasa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kozum, the son of Eladim, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elikim, the son of Malia, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nishon, the son of Amenadab, the son of Edmin, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Rehu, the son of Peleg, the son of Heber, Heber the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. I have never looked forward to getting to the end of a section of Scripture. <laughs> the end is coming. Okay, we made it through. So this will be a little different today, guys. Obviously, I'm not going to go through every verse here like we typically do, but we're going to look at this section as a whole. Really, the only verse we're going to look at is verse 23 for a brief moment. And then talk about this genealogy of Jesus according to Luke. So the three points you have on the back of your bulletin today, we're going to see really the, the question that I have, really to go along with the title, why it matters, what, what truths can I take from this boring genealogy on your outline? You know, when you look at a genealogy, what truths can you take from a boring genealogy? We know this is God's Word, so we know that it is, um, it is profitable. So we're going to look at Luke's purpose for writing it. We're going to look at our problem, and we're going to look at God's provision. The, the, the three points I'll get to in just a moment, and they won't take long. So, but I think as far as to set this up, we have to, we have to ask a few questions about this genealogy, about genealogy in general. And we've we got to look at it through, really, really do some groundwork for it before we look at the three points. The three points are going to be more application of why it matters. And so, but I think we need to just look at this, ask a few questions, answer a few questions about this. In verse 23, first of all, we see, it says, when he began his ministry, obviously speaking of Jesus, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. He's about 30 years of age. This is not the new in the scriptures for a uh, servant of God to begin his public ministry at, at this age. Um, you don't have to turn here if you want to jot them down. You can look at Numbers 4, several places in Numbers 4, 1 Chronicles 23.3. This is the age when the priests began to serve in the Old Testament. That's when they began their priestly service at about the age of 30. The prophet. So first of all, we see the priest began their public service publicly at about the age of 30. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 1 verse 1, says he began... His prophetic ministry. This prophet began his ministry at about the age of 30. Joseph became the prime minister in Egypt at the age of 30. Second behind only Pharaoh in Genesis 41, 46. David was appointed king in 2 Samuel 5, 4. Guess what age? At about the age of 30. So what do we see here? Jesus is beginning his ministry. It says at about the age of 30. And you want to know what's fascinating about this, guys? Obviously, I'm not expecting an answer, but what three offices was Jesus, was Jesus called to in his, in his ministry as He came to this earth? He is known to be the prophet, the priest, and the king. And He began His ministry at, the, at about the age of 30. He, in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, Moses tells the, the nation of Israel about the, the, the great prophet that would come. And obviously, that was fulfilled in Christ in the... In the New Testament, the people, I forget which account it was, where the, the people, I think it was after maybe one of the feedings, and they realized, this is the prophet that Moses spoke about. He's prophet. 
Jesus is also priest in Hebrews 4.14. We know that he is, he is our high priest, right? He is our high priest. He is the one that provided the sacrifice for our sins. And of course, the sacrifice wasn't a bloody goat or a bloody lamb, but it was his own body. And obviously, he is our king. Revelation 19, 16, 16, or Revelation verse, chapter 19, verse 16, he is the king of kings, right? And so as the king, he protects us as his people. He subdues our enemies. Who are our enemies? Our enemies aren't particularly another nation or another group of people, but it's our sin. The world, the flesh, the devil, death itself. Our king has conquered death. So Jesus Christ is prophet. Our prophet, our priest, our king began his ministry, it says, at about the age of 30. And it says that being as was supposed the son of Joseph. That phrase is very important. As was supposed the son of Joseph because he wasn't truly biologically the son of Joseph. Just most people thought he was. Right? Well, that's got to be Joseph's son. That's all that little phrase means. But we know... Luke's already made the point that he's virgin. He was, con- he was conceived by the Spirit, born of the virgin. And so, so we looked at Matthew's uh, genealogy in our Scripture reading. And then I just read Luke's genealogy. It's real important to understand that they're not, they're not exactly the same. They're not identical. They're not even really close to being identical. And so there's a, there's a few issues we need to address because this is one of those portions of Scripture that somebody will come along and I say, see, this genealogy here says this, but this one says this. See, it's really not God's Word. This is just man's Word. It's, it contradicts itself. Well, let's look at a few of these things. And we could even dig, dive deeper, but this is not a seminary course. Okay, this, is a, this is a sermon. But we will look at a few, a few things. Notice a, a few apparent... Well, there's differences, but not contradictions. So in Matthew... You'll just hold your finger in Matthew 1 and that, that genealogy. Kind of hold your finger there. And in this one, we'll look at a few of these things. And we'll see how uh, there's not any contradictions going on at all. The first thing we see in Matthew's, in Matthew's Gospel in verse 16, we see who the, who the father of Joseph is. And this would be the grandfather of Jesus. He says very clearly, Jacob was the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. So Jacob is the father of Joseph. Matthew makes that very clear. But look what it says in Luke, in verse 3.23, the verse we just read. Jesus as being was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. So which is it? Is Jesus the son of Eli, or is He the son of Joseph? Well, just so you know, or is He uh, the son of Jacob? Just so you know, Jacob was the father of Joseph. Okay, Matthew makes that very clear. So what's going on with Eli? Why, why is he saying that he is the son of Eli? Well, first of all, before, before we answer that, one thing we need to understand that, that both Jacob and Eli is Jesus' grandfather. Okay, His papa. So somebody will say, hey, well here it says Joseph is Jesus' papa. Grandfather, and here Eli. So, which one is it? Before we even look at the two genealogies any further, just ask yourself that simple question: Is that a problem for Jesus to have two grandpas? <laughs> Not at all. Our grandson is named Jace, and he has a grandfather, a papa. I think they're both papas. One of his papas is named Jerry, and his other papa is yours truly. And that's not a problem at all, is it? I think all of us would have two grandpas. Might not be alive. Some of us would have, might have more than that through, through steps and all this. But we would all have biologically two grandfathers. So that's not a problem. Now, it says in Luke that Eli is, in verse 23, the, it says the son of Joseph the son of Eli. Um, Now, who do you think, if Joseph is the, let me, if Jacob is the father of Joseph, who do you think Eli is the father of? Father of Mary. Now, you're not going to see Mary's name in this, in this genealogy, but I will give you a little heads up. This is where we're headed. 
Luke is recording the line of Mary. Matthew is recording the line of Joseph. In other words, Joseph's genealogy. Luke is dealing with Mary's line, Mary's genealogy. Even though Mary's name is not used here, according to accurate Jewish tradition, the Talmud, which is a record or a copy of Jewish civil and ceremonial law, it states clearly that Eli was Mary's father. That's what's going on here. Luke is tracing the line through the mother. Matthew was tracing the line through the father. Okay? Also, the son of Eli, when you see that, that word son of Eli, it can also be used to refer to a son-in-law. Okay, That's real important to understand. Because Joseph is actually the son-in-law of Eli. Also, when you're dealing with the word son, even more so, in, the, in this genealogy and other genealogies, when you're dealing with the word son, it doesn't always mean the direct descendant, like the father of the, the, the actual biological son. Because many times they skip generations. When you look at the word son, it, it has the idea many times of just a descendant. Okay, So these things are real important to remember when you're reading through these genealogies. Because you may say, uh, so-and-so contradicts so-and-so. But they don't cover every single generation in every genealogy. So that's important to remember. But what we do know from this is that Jesus, right? This is the, the genealogy of Jesus. He descended biologically from Eli, from Mary's line. And so Matthew, this is, we're going we're to compare the two genealogies now. If you, if you look at Matthew's genealogy, it starts with Abraham in the Old Testament, okay? And it goes forward to Jesus. It starts with Abraham and goes forward to Jesus. It even says 42 generations. 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the deportation of Babylon. And then 14 from that point to the Messiah. So that's how Matthew's genealogy is recorded. From Abraham to Jesus. Luke starts with Jesus and then goes back. But he doesn't stop at Abraham. Where does he stop? All the way back to Adam. So we've got to ask ourselves. That's one of the questions we need to be asking. Why did he do that? And we will, we will answer that here in just a moment. Because they each had a purpose in what they were doing. Now many of the names... And the two genealogies overlap. If you were to read these, you would see many of the same names. But there are nearly 40 names that are different in these two genealogies. Especially between the time of David and Jesus. Okay? There's a lot of different names. So how do we reconcile these differences? Again, we're just kind of setting up the groundwork. And then we're going to look at why it matters for us. Okay? What, what His purpose is in doing this. How do we reconcile these differences? Is it a contradiction? Again, ask the question, whose father was Eli? Eli was Mary's father. So Luke, beloved, is recording Mary's family tree and Matthew is recording Joseph's family tree. What was Matthew's purpose in writing his genealogy? Matthew's Gospel is written specifically or primarily to Jewish readers. Okay? That's real important to understand. Who did he, again, who did he start with with this genealogy? Who did he start with? Who did Matthew start with? Abraham. Because he was writing primarily to Jews. What, who is Abraham called? What is he called? The father of the nation of Israel. So what is Matthew writing to do? He is writing to show that Jesus is the true King of the Jews. That was the purpose of his Gospel. And, you can, and, and when you read that, when you know that, you can, you can see it in the writing. You can, you can taste it in the flavor of his writing. Matthew's genealogy was also paternal. Again, meaning it traced through the line of Joseph. It traced... And this is real important. Why, why are so many names different between, from David to Jesus in the two genealogies? This is why. Because if you look at, the, if you look at Matthew's genealogy... In Matthew 1, verse 6, you can see that, that after David, Matthew traced his line through David's son Solomon. All the way to Jesus. Through Solomon. All 
the way to Joseph, who is Jesus' legal father, okay? By Jewish law. He was Jesus' legal father. Luke, his gospel, is not so much written to the Jewish audience. If you remember the individual that Luke addressed at the beginning of the, of the gospel, we addressed him, Theophilus. Theophilus was more than likely a Roman government official. He was some kind of powerful Gentile. And you can also see more of a Gentile flavor in the Gospel of Luke. And it was also maternal, meaning from the, the line of Mary. And so here, here's really how to connect. Why, why these different names? Again, Matthew traced it from David through King through David's son Solomon. In Luke's Gospel, he traces it back to David, but it's through David's son Nathan. In other words, Joseph came through Solomon, Mary came through Nathan. But they both came through David. So you're going to get, you're going to get a different genealogy. You're dealing with different people. I hope that makes sense. That, that's, how, that's simply how you answer some of those questions. Why are there different names? Because it's dealing with a different son of David. And one of them goes to Joseph. One of them goes to Mary. You know what's cool about this, guys? Well, first of all, yes, Joseph and Mary were distant cousins. <laughs> By the way, we are all distant cousins. <laughs> we, we all trace back to Adam. So yeah, they're distant cousins. But what's cool about this is that we see Jesus was descended from David through both his mother and father. Okay? He, was, he, was, he is the true king of Israel, legally, through his father. And he's also the true king of Israel by blood through his mother. This accounts for the, some of the differences. There's many more we could look at, but that's not the purpose of the sermon. But when you're reading, it, reading these genealogies and you're wondering, man, why, why are they different in the names? That's why. There's, there's, there's uh, specific reasons for it. They had a different purpose in writing these things. So kind of that as the groundwork to look at some of the reasons why some of the names are different. Let's get into Luke's purpose now in writing it. What was Luke's purpose in writing this genealogy? And then we're going to look at our problem and God's provision. And these will move rather quickly, guys. To our point, our point number one, Luke's purpose. What is Luke's purpose? First of all, in, in, in writing this genealogy and in specifically going all the way back to Adam. Okay, We'll try to answer those two questions real quickly. Now in Luke's Gospel we've been going through for the last six months, he's already proved in different places. He's already demonstrated that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Right? That He is God in the flesh. If you look over in chapter 1, verse 32 and verse 35, this is when the angel Gabriel was talking to Mary about her son whom she would give birth to. He said, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. Verse 35, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Right? And then the, ver the verse we looked at last week at Jesus' baptism, or two weeks ago, the Holy Spirit descended upon Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, You are My beloved Son. In You I am well pleased. So G Luke's already dealt with the reality that Jesus... Is not just a man. He is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity who has come to this earth and put on human flesh. Now, His purpose in this genealogy, I believe, is two things. And so the first thing I think that He is demonstrating through this genealogy, since He's already demonstrated that He's God, now He is demonstrating even more firmly that He is truly human. He is demonstrating His humanity. He's biologically... What has he done? What, is, what has Luke done in this, in this genealogy, genealogy? Biologically, he has traced his line all the way back, all the way beginning with, with his mother through her father, all the way back to Adam. 
That's what he's doing here. He's saying, trace it all the way back. He is the son of Eli, biologically, the son of David, the son of Judah, the son of Abraham, and the son of Adam. It's interesting, when you get back to Adam, he's called the son of God. And that just simply means, beloved, he was created directly by God. Adam's the only one who can say that. He was formed from the dust, created by God. He didn't, he, 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 nobody beget him. God formed him. So that's what it means when Adam's called the Son of God. But, but Jesus, biologically, bloodline, His bloodline goes all the way back from Mary all the way back to Adam. So I believe that's, that's one of Luke's purposes. That's, that is His purpose for this genealogy to prove. He's not only the Son of God, but He is truly man. Okay? But also within that, why specifically? Why did, it, why did he not stop at Abraham? Matthew started at Abraham and went forward to Jesus. Why does Luke go all the way back to Adam? Well, again, Matthew, writing primarily to Jews, is showing he is truly the king of the Jews. He is the king of the nation of Israel, rightfully so. Had more of a Jewish flavor, his gospel. But what is Luke, what is Luke doing here? What is his purpose for all going all the way back to Adam? I believe it's very clear, beloved. He is going all the way back to Adam to emphasize. You can even see it as we begin to go through his gospel. He is going to emphasize that Jesus Christ is not just the Savior of the Jews, but he is the Savior of what? The world. All the way back to Adam. He is the Savior of the world. His ministry as we're going to see time and time again, will be both for the Jew and the Gentile. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We are all traced back to Adam. Did you know there's only one race? Many ethnicities, but only one race. We all, we all have our line starting with Adam. And then if you want to look at it even a different way than that, then there was a worldwide flood, we all go back to Noah. Okay? But we all come from the same lineage. And that is Adam. And so he's tracing it all the way back to Adam. Praise be to God that He is truly man. Right? He is truly man. He could identify with us. He came to save us. That's Luke's purpose. Okay? Now let's even get more personal. We see Luke's purpose in this genealogy. He had a purpose in it. Now we can look at this genealogy. We can see our problem. Okay? And this is what I really hope you see. You can look at a genealogy like this or any genealogy in the Scripture or any genealogy for that matter and we can see we've got a problem. You and I, we have a problem. Let me ask you this. Do you recognize most of the names in this genealogy? Now, don't act like a Bible scholar and say, oh yeah, I recognize most of them. You don't. Because <laughs> I don't either. You know, nearly half of these names in Luke's genealogy, they, don't, they never even appear in the Old Testament. What, what should this tell us, guys? These people are just like us. These people are just like us. They're just like us. How so? Even though we don't know them, we've never heard of them, they have goals. Right? They have, they have plans. They have talents. They have families. They have, they have dreams. They have favorite foods. They have hobbies. But guess what? They're all human. Like us. No difference. Which means what? Romans 3.23. They're all sinners. Every single one of them are sinners. Every single name you read on this page are sinners. For all have sinned. And what? Fallen short of the glory of God. As we read these names on the paper, right? When you're fixing to go to bed and you're doing your Bible reading, you're reading the so-and-so, we got so-and-so, we got so-and-so. These are sinners who've already passed into eternity. They're no different than you and I. These are not, when, you re when we read lists like this, and some of these names, we'll look at a few here in a moment, some of them God used in a mighty way. But do you think He used them because they were good people? They were just upstanding people, so God said, I'm going to use him because he's so wonderful. No, the Bible says there are none good, including you sitting right there today, including me, including these people on this page. They're no different than we are. 
They had names. They had mothers. They had fathers. But they were sinners like you and I. And to get more specific, to show you just what kind of people these are, they're, they're normal people with, with sinful lifestyles that God used. We'll just pull out a few of them in Luke's, in Luke's Gospel real quickly. And see what kind of people are on this genealogy. Terah, which is Abram's father. You know who Terah was? He was an idolater. That's who Terah was. That was Abram's father. Abram, we know him better as Abraham. Who was Abraham? He was an idolater as well. He was a liar. You know the interesting thing about Abraham, beloved? If you ever question the doctrine of unconditional election, do you realize that God chose Abraham out of a sea of idolaters? And because of that, because God revealed Himself to Abraham, we see God believed, or Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. But who acted first? It was God. What about all the other pagan idolaters? What happened to them? You see the grace of God? Is that, and, 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 he, and, he, and He chose Abraham and, and used him to be the father of the nation whom the Messiah would come through. We refer to Abraham as the father of faith, Right? We're true children of Abraham because we have put our faith in Christ. But Abraham wasn't a good guy, guys. He worshipped false gods. But we see the grace of God. Jacob. Who was Jacob? He was a right, a cheater, a thief, a trickster, a deceiver. Judah. One of Joseph's brothers. One of the sons of Jacob, he sold. He, he, was, he was involved in selling his brother Joseph as a slave, and then he slept with a prostitute. Do, do these sound just like upstanding people? No. It's the human race. It's sinners like you and I. This is what the scriptures mean when it says there are none righteous. There are none righteous, none good, none seek after God. Abraham wasn't seeking after God, and you weren't seeking after God, but God seeked you out, changed your heart. Who was David? <laughs> yeah, David was a man after God's own heart, but David was also a murderer and adulterer. And then Adam, we got to mention Adam, right? And Adam lived in the perfect environment. And he's the one that got us all in this mess. Mr. Adam. I wonder if we'll have a chance to ask him, what were you thinking, man? Thanks a lot, Adam. We fell into sin, the whole world fell into sin. Because you disobeyed God. Those are just a few people mentioned in this list, guys. But do you see this? All of these people, when you come across a genealogy from this point forward, all of these people, they're not just names on a paper. We just read through them, right? I, I'm guilty too. Because it wears me out trying to pronounce the names. But, but think about it. They're not just names on a, on a page. They are people. Real quickly, I want, to, I want to make a point here. Turn over to Genesis chapter 5, guys. We're going to look at something real quickly. It's another list. It's the descendants of Adam. So it starts with Adam and it goes through some of his descendants. And I just want to start in verse 5 and, and I just want to note something. Genesis 5 verse 5. It says, So all the days of Adam... Or all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. That's a long time, right? But what are the next three words? And he died. Who's the next one? He deals with Seth in verse 8. 912 years Seth lived, but what happened? And he died. Enosh in verse 11. 905 years. And what? He died. You see the pattern here? All the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. You can go one after another. And he died. And he died. And he died. With the exception of Enoch. And we know of Elijah, right? That God raptured up to heaven. But just very few exceptions. We see these people living. And back then, they lived a longer life. But what, would, what do we see? What do we all have in common? They lived, and then they all died. Even Methuselah. 
969 years old. The oldest man that we know of that's recorded in Scripture anyway. But what happened to him? He died. Beloved, even a life of 969 years is still a vapor in comparison to eternity. You understand that? You may live a hundred years on this earth, but it's a blimp and then you're going to be in eternity. Think of a person in hell right now. Don't you think they could wish, if I only had just 969 years and I could get out of here, but hell's eternal. Okay? And they all, it says they all died. Why? Because in Adam, what does it say in Adam? We all die. In Adam, we all die. We inherit our sin from Adam. When Adam sinned, death came into the world. Romans 5.12 Just as through one man, who's the one man? Adam. Sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to how many men? All men. Because how many men sinned? All sin. This is why this matters. A genealogy. What do we think of? What should you think of when you look at a genealogy? It's on paper, right? Written on paper. You know what you should think of? You should think of a graveyard on paper. That's what it is. A genealogy is a graveyard on paper. Go sit in a graveyard sometime, cemetery, and reflect that all these people were here at one time. And they're not anymore. They're in eternity. Guys, this life is a vapor. This life is a mist. This life is a passing shadow. And then it's going to say it on our we're going to have we're going to have a date, right? Jamie's going to have 19. I won't say the year. He's born. But he's going to have a date. I'm going to have a date. We're all going to have a date. It's the two hash marks. And then we're going to be on into eternity. That's why this stuff matters. Are you ready? Are you ready? Beloved, all of these people, and they died, and they died, even in our genealogy. We don't see the phrase, and they died, but that's in there. And they died. These are all souls, and they're all in eternity. They're all in eternity. Is it not true that the world stops in a certain sense when a celebrity dies? Right? You know what I mean. The media, right? Make a big deal about it. Celebrity dies. Well, so, oh man. So and so, did you hear about them? So and so died. What about the other two people that died in that same split second? You know, the population now is between 8 and 9 billion. I don't know the exact number. And now the estimate is every second, three people pass into eternity. There's six more. You see, the world doesn't stop when the homeless man dies on the street like it does when the rich billionaire celebrity dies. But there's no difference. There's no difference. It's a tragedy for both if neither one of them knew Christ, because they both went to an eternal hell. It's glorious for both if they knew Christ, because they're in His presence. But that's why this matters, beloved. When we look at a genealogy, we are reminded of the reality of death. And so our problem, what is our problem? To point number two, our problem is that death is coming. That's what a genealogy, which again, it's a, it's a graveyard on on paper, these people were here. They're not here anymore. Every one of these people on this list were actual people who lived on this earth. Guys, and they're not here anymore. And that's going to be true of us one day. That death is coming and you cannot stop it. You can eat as healthy as you want. May extend your life. Your life's already numbered. God already has your day determined. Yeah, we can improve our life. We can do this. We can do this. We, we, de we definitely want to do those things and be wise and take care of our bodies. But you can't stop death. It's coming for every single body in here. And the question is, are you ready for that day? Are you ready? Because we know it's not only death, but it's judgment. It's been appointed for a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Are you ready? 
And then third, our third point to help answer that question. Are you ready? We see Luke's purpose in writing this genealogy. We see our problem as we look at this genealogy. And we see God's provision. We see God's provision. When you look at any other genealogy, beloved, exactly what I just said, be reminded of the cemetery. Be reminded of death. That's a healthy thing. The world is asleep when it comes to this reality of death. People don't want to think about it. They know that day's coming, but they suppress the truth. The devil deceives people. Don't think about that day. Don't worry about that day. There's nothing on the other side. There's no judgment. There's no God. But the wisest thing we can do when we read a genealogy, when we look at a cemetery, is be reminded of death. But what's different about this genealogy? About these two genealogies? What's different about it? I can tell you what's different about it and it's glorious. Jesus is in it! Jesus is in this genealogy. Right? He was born into the very humanity that He came to save. If you're not ready... This is your great hope. This is your great hope that Jesus, we're looking at His genealogy, that God came to this earth in the form of a man to rescue us from our sins. Hebrews 2.17, it's the verse that's on the front of your bulletin. It's glorious, guys. He, speaking of Jesus, He had to be made like His brethren In all things. Meaning, He had to be made human to begin with. He had to be made like His brethren in all things so that He might become what? A merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of His people. What does all that mean? It means the Son of God came into this world and He put on human flesh. It says He became a merciful and faithful high priest. Merciful towards men. Merciful towards you. What do you deserve because of your sin? You deserve, just like I deserve, the judgment of God. Because we have fallen short of His glory. So He is the just God and you must punish sin. And so Jesus Christ, as the high priest, can offer you mercy because of what he did what he was faithful high priest meaning faithful to his father by what satisfying god's requirement for sin how did he do this in his life beloved we call it his act of obedience meaning in his life living up to the cross he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live the perfect life that god requires he requires perfection from you and i but we have Sinned. We have fallen short. We have told many lies. We have been deceitful. We have slandered our neighbor. We have not loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind like we've been commanded to. We have not always honored our mother and our father. We have committed adultery. We have committed fornication. All of these things, even in our thoughts. God sees our thoughts. We are guilty. We are undone. If God were to judge us by our sin, nobody could stand. We'd all be sentenced to hell. But Jesus, in His his perfect obedience, He he, he fulfilled God's law. What you and I have been commanded to do. And Jesus did it perfectly in His obedience. You know what He did? He did what Adam failed to do. And Jesus, who's the second Adam, He came and He lived the perfect life in your place. And then when He went to the cross, it's called His passive obedience. You see, He fulfilled the law in His obedient life. His perfect life. And then on the cross, as the perfect Lamb of God, He bore the curse of the law that you and I deserve to take for our sins against God. It is finished! He paid the debt, the penalty that you deserve to pay. He suffered hell on the cross that you deserve to pay for all eternity. And by doing this, beloved, He obtained not just a partial, but a complete forgiveness. He can completely forgive you. 
if you will come to Him by faith. What did, what did the angel tell Joseph? You shall call His name Jesus. Why? For He will save His people from their sins. He will save His people. Not He might. But for those who come to Him, that's who His people are, beloved. Jew and Gentile alike. Those who come to Him by faith. Those who are willing to confess their sins to Him. He promises to save you. Because He paid for sin upon that cross. Beloved, the Bible is all about Jesus Christ. That's another thing we see in these genealogies. It's all about Christ. If you have read the Old Testament and you didn't see Christ, if you have read your Bible and didn't see Christ, go read it again. It's all about Christ. We see Christ through a few of these names. In this genealogy, we see all the way back in Genesis 3.15 where God told the serpent, He was speaking to the serpent, but the promise was to Adam and Eve that, that there would be a seed of the woman, a seed of Eve, who would eventually come to what? Crush the serpent's head. And we see that fulfilled in Christ. Romans 16.20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Jesus came to this world to destroy the works of the devil. Promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that all the families of the earth will be blessed. How are all the families of the earth going to be blessed? Through Abraham. Because through Abraham the Messiah came. Amen? Through Abraham the Messiah came. What does Paul say in Galatians 3 verse 7? It is those who are faith. Those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ who are the sons of Abraham. We are blessed. We are the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. Us here in America, a Gentile land, we have been blessed because we have heard the Gospel of Jesus Christ of how our sins can be forgiven through this One that came through Abraham. The same promise was made to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, verse 14. Promise was made to Judah in, in Genesis 49, verse 10, that through Him the sovereign King would come with His eternal kingdom. And He bids you to come. If you have not come to Christ, the King has come and paid the price, paid the penalty for your sins so that you can enter into His kingdom. If you will come to Him by faith and have your sins forgiven, He promised David that His kingdom and throne shall be established Forever. This, beloved, is the Savior of the world. This is God's provision for your greatest need. Your greatest need is not a fat bank account. Your greatest need is not a healthy doctor's report. Your greatest need is forgiveness of sins. Are your sins forgiven? If you were to die right now, are you ready to enter into eternity? Because if you're not, you can be. Jesus Christ has paid the price that you could never pay except for an eternity in hell. Jesus Christ came to save us from that place. That's what, that's what the cross was all about. In 1 John 4.14, John says this, We have seen, meaning we, the apostles, I was an apostle, I was an eyewitness, we have seen and we have testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the Jews? No, of the world. Praise be to God. Because I'm not a Jew. Praise be to God. He saves wretched sinners like me, like Joshua. Praise the Lord. He can save you today if you do not know Him. Look to Him. Call, call upon His name. Beloved, in closing, we're all... What, what's the point of this? Genealogy. We're all traced... Back to Adam. He is our federal head. He is our father, humanly speaking. We're all traced back to Adam. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam, all die. Beloved, you come into this world being a son of Adam. Okay? You come into this world, Adam is your federal head. That's why you're born a sinner. Because of Adam's sin. The verse I read a while ago, through one man's sin, death came into the world. Sin came into the world. Death because of sin. 
Paul says, for as in Adam all die, but here's the promise, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And we have to understand this all. It's identification. All of those who are born to this world, we're identified with Adam. That's why we're going to die. But those who identify themselves with Christ through repentance and faith, you will be made alive. He can give you life. He can give you victory over death. Over the second death. This is so important, beloved, in application, even in our evangelism. And if you're not a Christian, to understand this, that our sin goes all the way back to Adam. You see, a patient that goes to a doctor, he has to be convinced of the disease to take the cure. People, you, people they have to be convinced of the reality of sin in their life and the reality of the consequence of their sin to understand the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that you're a sinner because you're of identification with Adam? But you sin by choice too. Nobody has to pull your arm. It's in our nature. And so God's provision is His Son who is truly God and who is truly man. And the Bible refers to Him as the second Adam. Put your faith in the second Adam. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. His work upon the cross is finished. It is accomplished. Sin has been paid for. He is risen from the dead. He is defeated. Death, hell, and the grave. He has ascended to the right hand of His Father where He sits right now. And now the Bible says God commands all people everywhere to repent. That means to turn from sin. Because He has fixed a day. God has fixed a day when He will judge this world in righteousness by that same man that He rose from the dead. See, life is short. Life is short. Trust in Christ today because you might not have tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your grace. We thank You for Your great provision for our sins. We thank You, Lord, that even looking at it at a list of names, Lord, a, a genealogy, God. First of all, we thank You, Lord, for the... Uh, Lord, that every word in, in Your Word is, is important. Every word is Your Word. It's breathed out. It's there for a reason. God, we know that every one of Your words is true. But Father, we even see practical purposes in it that we can apply to our lives. We can be reminded of the reality of our death, Lord, that death is coming and that we must be ready for that day. And that is why You sent Your Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have eternal life. Father, thank You so much for that gift. Thank You for Christ, Lord. Thank You for Your provision for our sins. We just ask You, Lord, to bless this message. Father, I pray You bless all those who hear it, God. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, we're going to take the Lord's Supper today.